everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today we are tackling an icon. It is an icon. We are talking about Dragon Quest Three: The Seeds of Salvation. Yes. Or Dragon Warrior Three. Sure. This is a prequel to Dragon Quest One and Two. It yeah. is the legendary Erdrick on his legendary adventure. And let me tell you how neat that was to discover uh, the first time as a child, and all of a sudden you're back. In the Why don't world. you tell me about it in yeah. your personal history? personal history is that did happen to me as a child i i played dragon warrior i i really started this series from the beginning i played dragon warrior one and two then i played dragon warrior three and it was amazing playing through that game and then all of a sudden you think you've beaten the big boss and then you are transported to another world which is the world from the first two games and you find out that you are the legendary hero that they reference in the first two games that was a spectacular experience for like an eight-year-old. So yeah, I uh, just just like all games, I have I have a physical copy of this for the Nintendo Entertainment System. So despite being a pretty big fan of the series, this is one of the two Dragon Quest games that I hadn't played yet. So I was really looking forward to it. This game was developed by Chunsoft, who I only thought of as the Danganronpa people, but <laughs> it turns out they do other things, and it was published by Enix on the NES in 1996. That sounds uh, amazingly wrong, but okay. Because Dragon Warrior 4 came out in like 1991. So... <laughs> well, now I gotta check my facts. I'm gonna say this came out in 1990. That's that's gonna be my guess. Alright, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna go to here. Wikipedia. And we're going to do Dragon Quest 3. We're doing this live on the air. So you can see, oh, the enhanced remake for yeah, this that came out right. in 1996. Okay, there was an enhanced remake for the Super Nintendo in 96. Oh, So I the was release wrong. was, the original release was 1988. Yeah. That does sound more correct. That sounds more correct. Okay. Um, so, for this review, I actually chose to play the Game Boy Color version. Oh, good choice. Good because choice. Um, it has, I read that it had some enhancements. It does. And generally, when I approach playing a home on the RNG version, I kind of want to play whatever might be thought of as the definitive version. Mm -hmm. I and tried the Switch version, <laughs> by the way, which was clearly just a port of a, a mobile the one. The Switch version was a port of the mobile version. It's real ugly. With, it's very ugly because they did like hd sprites like character sprites but the backgrounds for everything in the town and the overworld are all like the heavily pixelated mobile yeah whatever it is a very very ugly game i couldn't do they, it it was it was real i'd rather play the game boy color yeah so that's what happened that probably is the definitive version so i played for the actual review so that we could i guess compare and contrast or i played the nes one i played the actual nes version but you know what's the same between both versions I think it's the story. And characters. characters.
Russ, this page is blank. Uh, <laughs> uh, for people listening a couple episodes ago, you will get that joke. Uh, congratulations for being a dedicated fan. You are the 16-year-old son of the great warrior Ortega, who has died in his attempt to save the world from a great and evil demon. The king has chosen you, a child, to go and finish his <laughs> father's quest. Why do why do you always have to go save the world when you're 16? Like, shouldn't they save that for at least like a 20-something who has still has the youth on their side, but has a little bit of worldly experience? Any experience? Yeah. I also feel like the the trope of dad is a great hero who's gone missing I must go and find him gets used a lot a whole lot I mean it was in Robotrek it was in one of the Final Fantasy Legends Mm -hmm. Uh, I just and that's just off the very tip top of my head I feel like it happens a lot it does happen a lot and the mom is always just sitting at home doing nothing about it like (laughs) well not all the moms can be pirate queens not all the moms can be pirate queens no but yeah, I'm like, why Why does? Why do I, at 16 years old, have to be burdened with this? Can we play the RPG where I'm 16 and I get told that I have to go save the world and then that just sends me spiraling into a deep depression? That's actually and your life, though. I just have to like lay at home and watch 25 episodes of Schitt's Creek because I'm <laughs> so depressed thinking about having to save the world. Anyway. So this this might be uh, a version specific to me, but the uh-huh. game opens with an Ultima Four style personality quiz. That is just for you. That was not in the original. Although it's not very accurate because I went ahead and I answered the personality quiz as myself. It's a whole bunch of yes or no questions. Uh, do you prefer this? Do you prefer that? Mm-hmm. And from that, it determined that I was a very solitary person who isn't close to my friends. Oh, Which is probably the exact opposite description of me as a person. This game is around 27 hours long, Mm -hmm. which is a a good length for an NES. mm -hmm. And I have written here in my notes that I want to tell the Desert Town story now. And I'm going to tell this Desert Town story, and it's going to be one of those things where Russ just looks at me like I'm an alien. I love (laughs) these things. He's going to make fun of me for it after the show. He's going to bring it up and he's going to reference it in future because he's not going to get it. But there are some things that just capture my imagination and I never know what they're going to be or why. But certain things light my imagination on fire and playing the original Dragon Quest, the the thing that really leaped out at me and made me want to know more was the abandoned, destroyed city uh-huh. in the desert. Now, if you read documentation, which I never did as a kid, you learn that it was destroyed by the Dragon Lord's minions. Mm -hmm. But to me, I always found, like, this is a JRPG. Here's a city that's been destroyed. And you don't generally find those that aren't key to the plot of what you're doing. Yeah. It is normal for you to see a village be destroyed in a game, and it's like, oh my god. Or for your character to have come from a destroyed village. Mm Mm-hmm. But these are the ruins of a village you know nothing about. And I found that very interesting. And then in the second game, the ruins are even more so. There's basically nothing there. Yeah. So I knew, coming into this third game, that we would actually get to see this town in its heyday. And I was very excited about that idea. For some reason, that idea was appealing to me to see the history of this forgotten, ruined city. 
So uh, I that's one of the things I was actually looking forward to the most in playing this game. Interesting. Which made me a little disappointed that you don't actually get to that point <laughs> until like the last five hours of the game. Right. It's not until you get to that world. Because I always knew this was a prequel for 1 and 2. I did not realize that the fact that it was a prequel was supposed to be a surprise yes. after you yeah. finish two-thirds of the game. Right. So I'm just like, this is not the world I'm aware of. I don't recognize any of these city names. And where's my desert village? And then finally I was <laughs> dropped into it and went, oh, here we are. Here it is. So uh, that's... That's my little bit of a story and character. There, there aren't really a lot of characters because you just recruit a party. Yes, you, you're the 16-year-old tasked with saving the world. And because you're 16, you go to the pub. Sure. And you uh, just recruit some random characters of different job classes. This game introduces job it's classes. It's a job system game. So it's the first one. I love it. Yes, it's a job system game. But before we get into depth, about that and the personality quiz that I took, we're going to talk about the combat system. So, not much has changed mechanically. No. Um, generally, when I talk about JRPG combat systems, especially for older games, there's Basically, the Final Fantasy style and the Dragon Quest style. Yeah. Uh, and most games of that era lean one way or the other. So this is a trendsetter. This, this is... was even before Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest were really different. Because even Final Fantasy was just turn-based back then. Sure, but the, the layout is the first well, person sure. versus the side yeah, to side. Right. That was just the Final Fantasy people trying to one-up the Dragon Quest people. <laughs> it did have some really good enemy battle animations. Like, enemies moved. Oh, because you played the Game, the Game Boy, Boy Color version. version. And so yeah. that was exciting. Mm -hmm. What really bothered me, though, enemies, and I don't mean bosses, I mean regular run-of-the-mill effing enemies. Mm -hmm can cast a spell that eliminates a member from your party completely. And then you have to go re-recruit them at the starting town right. to get them back into your party. They are blown away, and you have to travel all the way back to the start of the game. <laughs> Even quick travel is still obnoxious Yeah, to re-get them into your yeah. party. That was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of combat system, there's not really a lot to say here. I mean, just the job classes. Are we going to talk about that here? Are we going to talk about that? Uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and talk about yeah. it here. Yeah. Go, go right ahead. So you have your normal job. You have a warrior, and you have a, a mage, and you have a priest called a pilgrim in the uh, Dragon Warrior 3 NES version because we can't uh, reference religion at all, but <laughs> somehow a pilgrim can heal you. But then you have your more fun job classes like Jester, and in the in the Game Boy Color version you have Thief. And the most interesting, I feel, thing about the job system is that you can change jobs. Yes, the Dharma. There's a Dharma temple, so once you get a character up to level 20... And this becomes a, a fairly standard part of the series. It does, This yeah. persists. Yeah. Anyway. And it really started here. Once you get up to level 20, you can go to the Dharma temple, and you can have a character change 
to any other class you want, and they start from level 1, but they maintain half of all of the stats that they had at whatever level they were, so you have like a base stronger character than you had before. It is also the only way to unlock the Sage job class, which is just kind of, well, it is the only way to unlock the Sage job class, which is basically white magic and black magic and a decent attacker. So it's like the, the, the ultimate job. The secret, and this is what I love, the secret of the Sage job class is that the two ways to get it are to get a special book that will let you change any character except your hero into that job class or to just get a jester up to level 20. Which is not the easiest thing to do. Which is not the easiest thing to do. The jester can actually take actions in battle where it just, like, chases after a butterfly. Yeah. Or... (laughs) Yeah, you don't fully control the jester, so you're basically giving up a party slot. And it's weak, and it's, yeah. um, It's a burden that you have to carry through a certain amount of the game and then you get the reward of just automatically being uh getting getting a sage yeah i think that's all i don't even have anything else to talk about the job system it's the beginning of the dragon quest job system the it's a great series there there aren't a whole lot of jobs but it's also an nes game so there are enough jobs there are it's good still like one two three four five yeah. seven there's some variations there's seven there's, there's some yeah. fun you can have with it um it make it's good for replayability because you can you can challenge yourself by using like three jesters <laughs> yeah if you really want to challenge yourself that's like doing the the four white mages challenge of final fantasy one <laughs> anyway so let's move on to innovations an entire paragraph written here about this um in my notes and it's the personality system that i mentioned that they added to the remake so there are 45 different personalities that for the heroes and the party members personality makes some minor changes to dialogue options but mainly it affects how your stats grow as you level up Mm -hmm. most of the personalities are boosts to some stats at the expense of other stats Right? Right. It turns out Solitary, which is what I ended up, is one of the best for the hero because it emphasizes vitality, which is important because the way the combat system works is the person in the lead is most likely to get attacked, and the person in the fourth spot is the least likely to get attacked. You know, the percentage decreases as you get away from the first slot, so you really want your hero to have a lot of health because he's going to take most of the abuse. The system is a little bit broken, though. It is widely known that the vamp personality or the sexy personality is the most powerful. It only works for women, but it boosts all of the stats. All of the stats are better. So I, I learned that little bit. So I went ahead and created my hero and three sexy friends to go with him. (laughs) Which I think is the intention. But then I learned when you're creating party members, the mechanics for getting them to actually be created with a particular personality are so convoluted that I just gave it up and went with whatever I got. Yeah. There is a there is a methodology because when you create a character, 
it gives you a few points to mess around with their stats. Yeah, you get seeds, and you can feed them the seeds. And to customize them a little bit. Certain stats. Uh, and it turns... It- and personality is determined by if this stat is at this level, and then this one is above this but below that, and right. this one is... So, you need a spreadsheet to figure Yeah, out. you can't sit there and go ahead and create your three vamps, but it's going to take you all day. This game also, at least in my version, Russ will tell me if this is both versions, introduced mini-metal collecting. That is, that, that is new. That is a Game Boy Color thing. Ah, okay. Yeah. Mini Metals. Mini Metals, I feel like, did not come in until, I think, 5. I think 5 was the first Mini Metal game. Well, and then it persists throughout the rest it of does, the series. Yeah. The idea is, hidden throughout the world are Mini Metals, usually in pots or, you know, searching for hidden items, which I've mentioned before that I, I really like doing. Uh, so you can find these Mini Metals hidden throughout the world, and when you find the Mini Metal King... He will give you rewards for collecting certain benchmark amounts of the mini metals. Who, by the way, just lives in a well. In this game. In your hometown. Yeah. So, good job, king. <laughs> he's you live the, in a well. He's the king of the bottom of this yeah. well. This game also has what is standard to the series, or at least my version did, again, where each individual member has an inventory, and then there's a group inventory. It's limited inventory for the people, and then the group inventory is generally limitless. Yeah, you're, you really did play the Game Boy Color version of this game. Apparently. I have never understood why have this system, instead of just having a limitless group inventory that they can all pull from. Yeah. Because it's, I, I dislike inventory management. It's never been fun. It's never a fun part of any game. The Game Boy Color version actually has some autocorrect to the walking. If you are okay. walking in a straight line and you bump on the corner of an object, the character will automatically path around it and keep walking in that straight line. You almost never see that. That was just kind no, of a really yeah. neat touch. There's a day-night cycle. Yes. The monsters at night are stronger. Right. If you go to and your... this is the one that started the day-night cycle. There you go. Yep. If you go to your hometown and talk to your mother, she will feed you a meal, and you will go to bed, and you will wake up fully rested and fully healed. I feel like I've seen this in another game. (laughs) What could that game be? What could it possibly be? It must have been Arcana. Yeah. There are menu options to fully heal the party with the most efficiency, which also will persist through Dragon Quest series, and I love. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this review has been that all of these innovations you're talking about literally did not exist in the NES version. (laughs) Literally all of them. I feel like if you had played the NES version, I feel like your score would be lower than whatever it is. I forgot to put my score on here. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to have to go off memory. I'm very disappointed in myself. There's also an option to stow all non-equipable items in the group bag. Which is nice. I have a sentence written here that I'm not sure why I put it here. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. I found a dress-up costume. A piece of armor that turned my brave warrior into a tiger. Furry Fury. Cute. It just says Furry Fury. Yeah. Jess was the name of my fierce warrior. Because <laughs> uh, I have a friend named who is. Uh, and... Uh, she put on this outfit, and she's just prancing around in a little tiger costume. Yep. Uh, and it was just interesting, because it's the first time I remember playing a Dragon Quest game where 
a it's only that one particular armor, but it does change your sprite. Yeah, interesting. Also, it had bonus dungeons. I generally don't care about bonus dungeons, mm-hmm. but you know, I applaud their existence. Again, Game Boy Color version. Let me just keep saying this is all the Game Boy Color version. Okay, well, what innovations were there for you? Uh, literally none. <laughs> this was literally just the next Dragon Warrior game. <laughs> uh, Day-night cycles. That okay. Was, that was new. Well, and the cycles. class system. And the class system, yeah. But none of your characters had personalities. Didn't have personalities. Also didn't have the thief job class. That is that yeah. is new to the, to the Game Boy Advance version. Game Boy Color. Game Boy Color version, excuse me. We weren't ready for an advance. We weren't ready for that yet. Um, Probably, I wonder, because these games did have Super NES versions that were Japan only before there were Game Boy Color versions, so I wonder how much of this was introduced in that, actually. It would be neat if we did not get a lot of these Dragon Quest games after the fact in America. (laughs) It'd be easier to keep track of the innovation. Sure. um, If that was the case. All right. The so. NES version is still a good version, by the way. Like, it is still, it is one of the very few NES games that holds up. It does have some cumbersome things, um, but it still holds up. So with that, we will move on to music. Dragon Quest series is the same composer. Yeah. The music is thematically very similar. You can generally pick Dragon Quest music out of a lineup. The composer's name is something Russ will now pronounce. Is Koichi Sugiyama. So we're not going to go into depth on this particular topic because that's just not the kind of podcast we are, but I wanted to discuss a little bit about Mr. Koichi. Koichi. Yeah. About this guy. Oh, we're going to discuss the problematic things about him, apparently. Just, we're just going to, we're we're going to acknowledge them. Okay. Because the guy makes some great music. He does, yeah. But apparently is not a great person. Yeah. He has made problematic statements in his life uh, about his position on World War II Mm -hmm. uh, and the LGBTQIA plus community. I've also read that he doesn't like it when his composed work for Dragon Quest goes to other countries. He thinks only Japan should get the composed version and yeah. every other country should get MIDI versions. It is the reason, my understanding is the reason why the PS4 version, the original version of Dragon Quest XI, did not have like this like this symphony orchestra music in it, period, for Japan or the US or any version. It was all synthetic music because of Mr. Sugiyama's uh, views on things like that. His... General problematicness, I guess, can be summed up. His mentality is Japan first. Yes. And again, we are almost done with this topic, I swear, because we're not going to get into this. But we have seen recently in our history where my country first is a problem. Right. So uh, I don't know that I intend to ever bring this up about the guy again. But... I wanted to at least address it once while we talk about his great music. Yes. And also there's the fact that what are we going to say for the music review of each Dragon Quest? Because (laughs) it's just... 
half of the songs music again. Half of the songs are kept throughout the entire series. Not to mention that most of the Dragon Quest Eleven music is just the Dragon Quest Three music, for story reasons. Yeah, but also just secret story reasons. Secrets. But also, it's just the same. So, uh, with that addressed, that awkwardness behind us, we can move on to our final thoughts. was a fun game to revisit. I haven't played it in a long time. Playing the NES version was definitely interesting. Playing an NES game, period, in the year of our Lord 2020-2021 is a very interesting thing to do. But what I was most impressed by is that, yes, this is an NES game. Yes, there are cumbersome mechanics that come from it being on the NES, but it holds up pretty well. And there are not a lot of NES games that hold up well by today's standards. But this one is still pretty good. I I really enjoyed it. Again, I don't really have a letter score for it. I will give it four uh, Ramia the Giant Flying Godbird out of five. It was it, it's a it's a good game and it's one that I recommend. If you do play it, I would recommend playing like probably the Game Boy Color version. You could also play the version on the Switch even though it kind of looks like butt. Yeah, it's real ugly. Yeah. So because of the world we're currently living in, Russ and I are going longer between playing a game and reviewing it. And that's one of the reasons I've been mentioning my notes so much in the last couple of reviews is knowing that was going to be the case, my notes have been more expen- extensive, more descriptive to try and help me remember, huh, I've played five JRPGs in the last six months, what was in that second one? Uh, and I've really let myself down by not doing my f- closing thoughts on this one like I have done on the others. So, overall, it was a very good experience. I did play the Game Boy Color version. I liked the little personality quiz at the beginning. It was interesting. I don't think it comes up again in the series, but I did enjoy it. I think th- I feel like the Dragon Quest games really hit their stride with 4. 1, 2, and 3 are not my favorites. 1 and 2 especially... Of the first three, this is definitely the best one. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. It's much more playable, much less grindy. I, I can give it a B plus. Is what I'm going to give it. It's it's a it's the best of these three. But I know what this series is capable of, and it's not quite there yet. That is a fair statement. B plus is still a pretty decent score. It's a good score. The last two games we have been very positive about. They've yeah. been very good games. Yes, they have been. We need to fix that. I don't know why you have these feelings. I don't know why you feel the need to do these things to me, but you do, apparently. Russ, I have selected the next game. You have selected the next game. And I did it to both of us. Yeah. So please join us next time as we discuss the strange journey that is Quest 64. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaur productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you.